What's your life goal? And have you achieved it? Yeah, I married you. Aw, gross. You really need to go out there and make sure the whole world hates you. My butthole is all over the internet. A fine wine. She keeps me in the basement and pulls me out when she needs me. If I drink Sambuca, he's getting it. I bought a case. Can tell a lot about a person by the way their tits, pussy, or dick looks. You come near my cheeks and it's not going to be a good day for you, homie. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be special. Welcome to the Two Onions Podcast with Danny Daniels and Vic. What's up, guys? I'm Danny Daniels, and next to me is my husband, Vic. And with us is one of our good friends who's super awesome, Joseph Wooten. Which, yes. By the way, you have a way professional setup, and like... <laughs> <laughs> and we're the podcasters. <laughs> yeah. I'm a musician, so it's it's uh, I've I've done this before, and hopefully I'll conduct myself like I've done this before. <laughs> yeah, us too. For those of you that are listening and not watching, it's funny because you have all these pianos behind you, and it'd be great if you were like, oh, I play trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> don't, say, don't say that around me if I'm gigging. Yeah, you know what I mean? Oh, uh, that's true. That's true. That's yeah. a good point. I, I forgot you could do everything. Do you play pretty well? Me? The trumpet? Yeah. I mean, I play, I play a good skin flute, but that's, <laughs> that's it. I was trying, I was trying not to go there, but I forgot what show I'm on. Right? <laughs> so, um, like, can you play, uh, can you play like a major scale on the trumpet? I can't play anything. You can't play anything. No. The, the skin flute. I got you. Just the skin flute. I got oh, you. You make him I'm, I'm, I'm actually the piano player, but yeah. not to your level and, and any stretch. I remember that. So, for for, you, for those of you that don't know. Her husband used to be my publicist. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a book. Uh, I should have brought it. I should get my wife to get it. But he's the reason that I have that I have the book. And the book is awesome. Well, thank you. The book is awesome. <laughs> thank you. I, you know, I love that you're doing the PR job, by the way. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> but I learned, I, learned, I learned from the best. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because the book is it all matters correct is that yes. it all matters and it's um it's like aphorisms it's sayings and words that you that you live your life by that's right i loved it because i was setting the book up for you and obviously doing that i was reading through and there were just some quotes and my favorite i still quote it to this day is any decision made by testosterone needs a second opinion <laughs> you know what that's ironic because that is my wife's favorite quote it's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, that's why I wrote it down. I was like, I'm on to something there. Like, testosterone is absolutely necessary, but it's a terrible decision, man. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely. But, but it is the basis of my wife's other career. So, yeah, right? like, thank you for your testosterone, but also, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. How long did it take you to collect everything? Like, there's so many great sayings and quotes, everything. Like, how long did that take? Is it years? Is it you just sat down? And- I think I think this one was probably maybe four years, four or five years, something like that. But the reason that I did it was because my mom was just super wise. She's just really wise. And everything that we can remember from her, we, like, hang on to those things she used to say. And uh, I wish that she had written hers down. So I thought, I'm going to start writing mine down. And I had some that were from years ago that I had kept. And as I, I'd say something, I'd go, man, that, I should write that down. And before I knew it, I had this. In fact, 
if, if, if I had been prepared, I'd have the book that it came from, yeah. but I have a book that I keep it in. And, uh, and when he said that you should do a book, I went, well, yeah, I guess I will. So I started <laughs> typing it out and I was kind of going, this is kind of a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember because you originally sent me, and your handwriting is gorgeous. You originally sent me the book, and I was trying to scan it in, and then it had to be typed out. And you're like, oh, no, I'll do it. And I'm looking at this book of quotes saying, you're going to, okay. <laughs> and you did. In like 48 hours, I had it. <laughs> it's fun going back through it, and it's fun um, whenever I see somebody that said that, that, that they liked it or or that it meant something to them. It's always it's similar to playing music that anytime you do something creative and you feel somebody else receive it, mm-hmm. that's that which probably, you know, means something different in this conversation. You know, I was going to try to let that go by, but why? In this conversation, why bother? The elephant in the room. <laughs> somebody receive it. I guess even then it still is good that way too. But when anytime you do something creative and somebody else receives it, I can't get around it. it it's uh, it feels good because that's what creativity is for. Mm-hmm. It's that reciprocal. It's like a. It's it really is like even you know like I can get naked on camera any time of day. It doesn't bother me. But my artwork, having somebody tell me like I love your artwork, like it's like a piece of my soul. You know what uh-huh. I mean? It's like so much. It's yeah. like such a personal compliment. You're it's like, so funny because. It's like pornography is one of those things that um, people tend to disrespect it because it seems like anybody could do it, right? They're just filming sex is all they're doing. <laughs> Technically, then, it might not be good, but... <laughs> but by the same token, though, when you see something that's not professionally done, you recognize it right away. Yeah. I heard. Right? <laughs> so I was told. <laughs> yeah, somebody told me that you could... You could but it's... um. It's it's uh it's creativity and art like every like everything and and not every everybody can do it not everybody's good at it so mm-hmm. I, I, you, uh, had, you actually have a, a quote about porn in the book I did what the uh, oh god it yeah was, it was it's something to the effect of uh, that pornography is in your head because like naked I mean I'm sorry uh, uh, who's the, the, the David the statue of David. Mm-hmm. He's no more naked than Ron Jeremy, right? <laughs> but one except of them, except the David's not in jail. Part, that, that's all up here. Or another yeah. good example. Another good example. You could have a kid, right? Kid's three years old, and they're talking about the pussycat, right? Mm-hmm. And you never bat an eye, but if he doesn't say the word cat, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly, suddenly the word pussy's off limits, yeah. and the pornography's. I forget the Supreme Court justice that said that he can't put his finger on what pornography is, but he recognizes it when he sees it. I think, I think that was uh, uh, Oliver, that. Oliver Wendell Holmes. I think it was. Yeah, yeah I, 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 don't, I, I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it. Yeah, because it's because it's it's up here, right? Yeah. It's not really pornography when you're trying to start a family. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Some, if you watch somebody else enjoying themselves, suddenly suddenly it's like this thing that you shouldn't be looking at, right? Yeah. It's, it's funny because I've been seeing all the memes going around that are saying, you know, now I understand why after the bubonic plague, all the Renaissance artists had a bunch of naked women laying around <laughs> in the sun. And it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting that right about now. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you've been inside for so darn long, you know, like by the time, by the time you get a chance to, to be free, you're, you're probably a little freer than you were before the, <laughs> I mean, you think about it, we went in in the winter and we're barely coming out in the summers. I know. Isn't that a trip? It's like a bear. We were hibernating. I was traveling with my brothers and we, I mean, we were just missing COVID everywhere or either. So we went to Europe in October, came back in early November. Before we came back to Nashville, we went to San Francisco, right? So in November, we're in San Francisco. I'm pretty sure it was there then. But we come back. We were at um, at the Iridium. Oh, in New York, in New yeah. York City on November, I'm sorry, on February 28th. Yeah, we were supposed to come see you, but we weren't in town that weekend. Yeah, yeah. but we, but in terms of COVID, we're just missing it, right? Yeah, you guys were out. Yeah, because it was. Like we went to Albany on March first. Mm-hmm. We flew back on March second, which happened to be we flew in back to Nashville March second, which was the morning before the tornadoes that night. Oh right! <laughs> so we just missed the tornadoes too, and then. I forget the date, but we were supposed to fly to Seattle, which was just starting to be the epicenter of COVID. Yeah. Just getting ready to fly to Seattle. And the alarm had gotten up for us to like to start packing when the word came out that the governor had like put a shutdown on all of the congregations. <laughs> so it was like everywhere we're going with like yeah, you're like, like run away. Find COVID, right? Yeah, we're just running away and which is which is a trip. So anyway, we're here in Nashville and um so far so good. You know, everybody's everybody's healthy. Everybody's, everybody's making adjustments, you know, there's no gigs. You know, I've, like I've I tried to do a couple of things online and they're just fraught with technical problems. It's just oh, like, yeah. I'm, I may as well just relax for a minute. That's a sign just to just to chill out. So I've been those- um, those in the audience that don't know, Joseph is actually the keyboardist and has been for 20 yeah, years. Yeah, since 1993. 20, 28 years, 27 years? Yeah. <laughs> for the Steve Miller Band. For the Steve Miller Band. And, uh, and, and actually, because of, because of you, I got to go to Steve Miller's induction to the Hall of Fame. That's right. You were there. Which yeah, was... Yeah ridiculously long overdue because it was what 2016 yeah. meanwhile yeah. the man had more number one hits in the 70s than any other band ever <laughs> you know? but you know it's it's uh i'm sure there's a lot of a lot of bands that feel that it's long overdue right it's still oh, yeah. a, it's still an honor i love steve though because steve he's uh 75 somewhere around there so steve was like a 70 something and he's like not fading into the distance. He's still just feisty and fiery. I mean, Steve, I say they gave him the trophy and he cussed everybody out. You oh, know yeah. I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. Most people are like, you know, they're mad because they don't get it. He won it and like took the time to just like tell everybody. Made some good points, too. I mean, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad it wasn't coming at me. You know, I try to stay on his good side. My, he's a my- my personal favorite was the PR person for the uh, Hall of Fame went to go stop him as he was talking, and he, said, he told her, "Sit down, maybe you'll learn something." Yes, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, "That is the that is the Steve Miller that I know." He wasn't fabricating anything. He's just no. he's just a bit more real than they were ready for. 
You know what I mean? No, yeah, yeah. He wasn't most making people, fun. Most people win and they get they get a bit more pleasant. And Steve just got more real uh, than they were ready for. And uh, that's that's who he is on stage, off stage, whenever you meet. And then when it, the, uh, the the flip side of it is, is when Steve is charming, he's really charming. You know what I mean? Like his yeah. smooth, his schmooze factor is high. I've seen him do it. He's really good, but he doesn't see a reason to do it all the time. And I can't say that he should. Yeah, I agree. Hey, I like he feels, it sounds yeah, like he's he, really like an honest person. I like it. I, I'm all yes, for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't so mean it doesn't mean he's always right. It just means he's always honest. You know. Yeah. So can't argue with that. And 27 years later, that's pretty cool. When I got the gig, he told me he said, um, he said. This is a job you could have for the next 10 years if you want it. <laughs> and, you know, you 27 years later, that was back in, I believe that was March the 12th, 1993. When I, hold on one second. Oh. When I look like this. <laughs> oh, oh my, my God. <laughs> That's what I looked like when I got this. Yes. Those of you, for those of you who are listening, go watch this on YouTube. You have to see this photo. Oh my gosh! Look at that hair. Look at that hair. It's funny. Did you um? Did did you did you ever see um? Coming to America. Yes, I'm reminded of that every time I show that picture. Yeah, you kind of look like (laughs) Eric LaSalle in Coming to America. (laughs) You're so glow. (laughs) Yeah. I get that every time I every time I break that picture out, somebody goes to the soul glow. Uh, and, you know, I can't be mad at him. You know, it's I did really, it too much. I look at Vic like old pictures of Vic when he had hair, and I'm like, who is this man? Like, it's weird. <laughs> so when I when I first got rid of all of it, you know, because it was going on its own anyway. Yeah. I call it, you know, God the Barber, as I call it. Um, <laughs> I did a gig first gig I get, did, and I was going to get my car to unload my gear. Mm-hmm. Summertime, I walked outside, and for the first time, I felt the breeze blow over my whole head, and I was like, I'm hooked. Yeah, this is, this is actually kind of, yeah. Didn't have to dry my hair. Didn't have to do something. I could get out of the house that fast. I, I could yeah. get out of the house as quick as I could put on shirt and pants. Yeah. I'm out. I used, to, I used to, like, is this a button-up shirt? Or is it a pullover? Okay, if it's a pullover, put it on first, then do your hair. Right, the soul glow. <laughs> yeah, if it's a if it's a button up, then you can go ahead and do your hair, put on your shirt, lay all that stuff. Right, uh-huh. make sure you don't get too much on your collar. Blah 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 blah. blah. I can leave the house like that. Yeah. <laughs> Just sort of shirt on and run now. <laughs> no doubt about it, and no doubt about now, it. And uh, none of your brothers have lost their hair, right? I can't oh, think of it. Well, all of you know, there's, there's a reason why there's so many hats in my family. You know, oh, I mean? no. Yeah. Oh, no. there's a reason why there's everybody's wearing a hat. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's dreadlocks, dreadlocks and hats. <laughs> no, between. If, if, again, for those of you who don't know, Joseph comes from an incredibly musical family. That's that's utterly ridiculous. All the brothers play. Your brother Victor is undoubtedly the best bass player in the world. Um, 
You know, it's, it's Roy, Roy, who's known as Future Man, who played for, um, God, I can't even tell you how many bands. and Yeah, and, you know, well, Bela Fleck and the Flecktones is what they were known from. That's, I was talking to Roy. There was Roy and Victor, right? Roy and Victor played in Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. Yeah. Did and Reggie, Reggie play with uh, them? What's that? Did Reggie ever play with them? Reggie never played with Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. He played with, uh, I think, B, I can't remember if it was BBNCC or BB Winans years ago. Yeah. Back in the nineties, but Reggie is the one that taught Victor to play when he was two. Taught me to play when I was five. And the incredible thing is, not that a five-year-old and a two-year-old learned to play music. That's one thing. That's cool. But a ten-year-old was the teacher. <laughs> he was a ten-year-old, really good teacher. This is this is the first thing he taught me. I always, he said, "Joe, man, it's easy, man." He always, he's a good teacher. It's easy, man. It's easy. All you got to just go to the piano, hit, find this note. And he said, just keep hitting that note. And mind you, he had taught himself to play the ukulele because we were living in Hawaii. My dad was stationed. Oh. All the three brothers were eight, nine, and 10. So Rudy played the recorder, school-issued instrument. He could play whatever he heard, just like that. Roy, probably because Reggie took his ukulele, was beating on everything. He could play everything just like that. Reggie was a natural on the ukulele, whatever he heard. So he has me doing this. He jumps on the ukulele. <laughs> and just like that, I was playing Midnight Hour by Wilson Pickett, wow. right? And he knew I liked grooves. I was hooked. Yeah. I was hooked. And that's, that's what he's still really good at. A lot of, like, really good musicians got to be really good by their interaction with Reggie, like with, uh, with Victor and all those things that he does with his thumb. I remember Reggie, when Victor was learning to play with his thumb, like Larry Graham, that's a Larry Graham thing. Reggie was saying, Vic, man, you need, you need to learn to go down, pluck it down and up. You're going to be do, able to do twice as many things. And uh, I remember being in New York City back in, the, back in the mid-80s when we had our record deal. And I call home to see how everybody's doing. And Victor said, man, I can play Paganini with my thumb. <laughs> Paganini is like this virtuosic violinist. And he's like, I could, no, he says, I can thump Paganini, which means when you yeah. play with your thumb, it, it has that really percussive. And he could play all those notes with all of that thumb percussion. Oh my I mean, God. Paganini is the greatest violinist ever. So. Ever. ever. And known for, you know, known for virtuosity. Yeah. And Victor could play Paganini. He was like... He, could, he was still a teenager because I was only 22. Uh, so I guess he was 19. He's like, I can play Paganini with my thumb. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, having, having, having what watched your we, mother think? Like, was your mother like, how did I make all these amazingly talented babies? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, not so much. So my parents, my parents both grew up in North Carolina, right? Okay. <clears throat> they grew up in North Carolina. And like most parents that grew up in the Jim Crow South. They knew their potential. They just knew, and they also knew their lack of opportunity. Mm -hmm. So by the time my mother started having us, she wanted to make sure that we were equipped to be in this world that she knew wasn't necessarily going to be working in our favor. So I remember, I'm, I'm the fourth of five. So I remember in Hawaii, so I, I started kindergarten in Hawaii. So I was five, probably five. My older three brothers were like eight, nine, and 10. My mom wanted to make sure we were articulate. 
She wanted to make sure we knew how to read and write uh, and do our math. She's like, when, when, uh, when school was going to the look-say method, like here's a picture of a word, apple. So the next time you see these letters, you know it says apple. My mom was teaching us phonics. She wanted us to know why it said apple. A says ah, P says P. So she's giving us flashcards with mathematics, with words. And my older three brothers, I remember her uh, entering them into speech contests. So Roy, I remember, so at this time he was nine. He's really good too. And I can remember the creation by James Weldon Johnson. And he would like start, and then I remember Rudy had to recite Casey at the bat. And he said, Reggie would always start laughing. Like she tried to get him in trouble and he's just laughing too hard. There's nothing she can do. (laughs) But she let him go. But the reason is because she knew that if, if we were the right kind of people, we could make it in this world. And mind you, this is probably 66, 67, 68, which is life is still pretty tough for black folks. So my mom was giving us uh, these tools. By the time we started playing music, she could see we were dedicated. And her philosophy, both my parents, their philosophy is when you find out what your kids want to do, then you give them the tools to go do it. So uh, the first year I'm playing on a little toy Schroeder piano. The next year I had like a little toy organ. The next year the toy organ got a little better. Until, <laughs> it's growing with you. <laughs> yes. So in 1968, we moved to California. By then, you know, they bought us instruments that were a little better. And now we're starting to play at officers clubs and talent shows and things. And she could see, both my parents could see that we were going to be serious about it. Yeah. So they got my oldest brother out of school. I was in the sixth grade, so he was in the ninth grade. No, yeah. yeah. And they got him out of school, and they went to the music store. And they bought, like, real amps and real keyboards and real drums. And re- I remember coming home and, like, seeing all of this gear in the living room. And this is the long version of basically saying that my parents weren't so enamored by the fact that we could play music. They knew that everybody was good at something. Mm-hmm they were more concerned with what kind of people they were turning us into. So um, my mom from time to time would ask us like, well, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, mom, I'm running three miles a day. I'm doing 250 pushups a day. I'm practicing X amount of hours a day. And she let, let you finish. And then she say, well, what does any of that have to do with me? Basically saying, what are you doing for other people? I know what you're doing for yourself, Mm -hmm. but what are you doing for other people? And she always had us in that mindset to get good at something for the benefit of other people. So <laughs> this is the, like, the longest version of the answer. That was good. Hey, I love it. I didn't know any of this. The answer is my parents weren't concerned with how good we were musically. As my mother would say, they've been playing their whole lives. By now, they ought to be good at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she says, that part does But she says, but... Because people would ask her, aren't you so proud? Your sons are so talented. And she would say, if you tell me that they helped you in some kind of way, or you tell me they inspired you in some kind of way, or you tell me that you look up to them, that makes me proud because that's what I've been working on. And my dad, you know, I, I got to take my hat off to him. You said you got in the service, right? Was he- yeah, my dad fought in the Korean War. 
he fought in the Korean War and uh, he was supposed to retire, uh, you know, after after his first little stint. And my mom had told him, you know, if you don't retire, I'm leaving you. And he, he comes that? back and, you know, with the cheapest <laughs> grin on his face because he hadn't retired. Was he a Marine? Because my grandfather also fought in the Korean War. <laughs> no, he wasn't a Marine. My dad was just in the infantry. He Pretty much in those wars, black folks were just in the, they were down in it. Weren't a lot of black officers and elite kind of stuff. No, it just, it just had been uh, integrated at that point. Yes. So my dad, my dad was in the infantry. And like most parents, he didn't talk much about it when he got home. But um, but he always made sure we were safe. Like my mom was always deathly afraid of guns. And my dad always had his like his briefcase. He never said what was in it, but you sort of knew the game yeah. changer was in Don't there. Don't touch the briefcase. <laughs> yeah, the old briefcase. But if you think about it, you know, there we were, we're on stage. Like when we opened for war, you know, Cisco Kid was a friend of mine. Uh, uh, slipping, slipping in the darkness. We opened for them. Victor was five. I was Victor eight. was five. Victor was five. I was eight. Older three brothers were 11, 12, 13. We were little, little. Two years later, we opened for Curtis Mayfield, right? Oh, wow. This is right when he was, uh, he had done the Superfly. Uh, yeah, soundtrack. the Superfly soundtrack. Yeah. So we opened for them when we were little, little, little. So, Think about you're in a nightclub. Did you even understand what it is you were doing? Does that make any sense? Because you were so young. Did you like realize? It's it's like anything you do when you're young. You're not old enough to know that it's a big deal. Yeah. You know that other people think it's a big deal, but you're just, I just making music with my brothers, right? That was fun. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's still nothing better than like making a crowd dance. I mean, there's just, there's nothing like it, like moving a crowd. So, um, the point I'm making that we we started really young, and my my dad, you could, from his point of view, those are his children on stage. People are drinking, they're unruly, and you know your five year old, your eight year old, your eleven year old. I mean, we would literally five years old. Victor was in kindergarten, right? Victor and I would come home. We'd have to take a nap on weekends. We'd come home from school. We'd have to take a nap. Because that night we're going to play from ten until two in the morning. <laughs> that's how we, that's how we grew up. So my dad kept us safe. Mm-hmm. And better than that, beyond that, my parents were really good because as everybody else was like, uh, all the kids were going to college. My 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 brothers got a little bit of college, but they came home and all the. Friends and relatives were like, your boys are so talented, you know, you need to make them get jobs. You need to make them, you need to make them. And we were just downstairs, just practicing, practicing, and they let us. So they sort of took the heat from relatives and other people because they knew we were focused. They knew our direction was good. And I got to take my hat off to them for that because they let us grow into, into who we are without, without pushback. They just kept giving us, kept giving us guidance. The funny thing though, we used to play really loud. I mean, we still play loud. I mean, we're, you know, when I when I die, there'll be loud music coming out of my casket. You know? But um, my parents 
they always knew where we were, so it didn't bother them. I remember my dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, where's that they, noise coming from? <laughs> they knew where we were, right? We were out of trouble and we were focused. Yeah. We had direction. So my dad would come home from work and whoever was in the garage was playing loud. Roy be down there bashing drums and Rudy's saxophone was like amplified and it's <laughs> somewhere playing loud right now. And, uh, and he'd walk in the door and he'd walk over to the TV and he'd turn the TV all the way up and he'd sit down and open his newspaper. <laughs> yeah. And my mom be in the kitchen, she'd be cooking or doing whatever, but they knew where we were. And, but, uh, there's always a neighbor that will talk about um, disturbing the peace, right? So we knew that I think it was nine o'clock. It was either nine o'clock or 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. We'd be playing and she couldn't yell loud enough to hear us in the garage. So she'd flick the lights off and turn them back on. We'd all look up. It's like the street light when you come home. Yeah. The we'd down. all look up and she's, you know, we, we knew that it was time to, so we'd, we'd start sobbing. And we we all be loud again, and then the lights would go back down. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then that was, and that's how we, um, that's how we grew up. She knew that we would, she knew that we would take care of being good musicians. She wasn't worried about that part, yeah. but she wanted to make sure she was. Uh, both my parents are very concerned with what kind of people we became. So when she passed away, uh, she used to love coming to Victor's music camp. Oh, yeah. Victor has a camp at, uh, he has 100 acres at a place he calls Wooten Woods. And musicians come from all over the world, they think, to learn to play bass and learn to be better musicians. And they do learn to be better musicians. But they're really coming to learn life skills through music. And my mom used to love to come to see the transformation of of uh of these kids musicians people she loved talking to them she loved hugging them and giving them confidence and and like the the last year my mom came there she's she knew she had pancreatic cancer and she was very jaundiced really thin could barely like even stand up and it came time for her to talk to all the kids which she loved and she stood up and like presided over everybody like Michelle Obama, you know, <laughs> <laughs> giving all these words of wisdom that you can hang on for the rest of your life. And that's it. Do you, have any, you said that she has a similar, do you have anything that you remember that she would say that were some of your favorites? Yeah. Like one, um, the one that you've heard us say a lot is that, uh, is, um, that, um, well, let me make sure I get it right. Uh, what does the world need with another good musician? We have enough musicians. We, we the world needs more good people. That's what, that's the one she would say. And, and uh, she'd talk about kids. She was, she would say that kids are much, much more alike than they are different. And kids are always, uh, yeah. And she would say every kid responds to praise. You know what I mean? She really sure. believed in praising, praising young people. And she was just, just really wise and strong. And like, I remember when we moved to Virginia, we literally moved from this coast to that coast. We moved from just outside of Sacramento, California and Rancho Cordova to like Newport news, Virginia. Yeah. And I went went from like a very liberal school in California 
to like this school on the banks of the James River in Virginia with the principal who had to have been born right at the turn of the century because she was at least 70 years old oh. and it was 1972, right? Oh, boy. She's probably like, probably like Andrew Johnson's younger sister or something. <laughs> <laughs> she was old, man. But what I remember is as soon as I came to town, she was singling me out and giving me a hard time. And I, I didn't get it. I just knew that like I, I go to the lunchroom and I, it was the first time I'd ever eaten lunch in a cafeteria. Cause in California, we live three houses down from the school. I just walk home. Oh, eat lunch real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I'd walk home, eat lunch real quick and go back and play for the rest of that hour with my friends. So cafeteria for the first time I never done. So I'm asking the kid, I'm like, how do you do this? I've never done a cafeteria before. He said, when you go up, you tell them today's chicken and roast beef. You tell them if you want chicken or roast beef. Now, little did I know, they just put it up there and you grab it, right? Yeah. So I said, chicken, and she put roast beef out in front of me. So I said to my friend, man, I asked for chicken. She gave me roast beef. So the principal, she says, son, you need to stop talking so loud. And I said, I'm not talking loud, right? With, you know, little black head in the South. That's not yes, ma'am, and a no, ma'am, and she's really angry. Yeah. I didn't think anything about it. So I go back with my little tray that I've never had before, and I go, and we're in the lunchroom. Now, this is a school from kindergarten to sixth grade. Like, there's no lunchroom that's quiet, right? Yeah, right, right. right. Oh, no, no <laughs> like adult or children. So she comes back, and she says, Joseph, I told you to stop talking so loud. I'm not talking loud, right? Now she's really mad. You know how old people get when they're mad, they start shaking. They do this. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say shake, yeah. <laughs> She starts shaking. So she says, you know, I'm going to call your mother. You're so disrespectful. So I'm like, I'll call her for you. So <laughs> I'm going to beat her to the office because I know, like, she's wrong. I haven't done anything. And my mom recognized the racial dynamic, right? Here's a little liberal kid from California He's not yes, ma'am, and a no, ma'am, and he's yep, nope, uh-uh, yeah, uh-uh, right. So my mom comes in, and she tries to tell my mom that I'm suspended, and my mom was like, listen, he's mad, and you're mad. She says, so I'm going to take him home today because he's mad, and you're mad, too. She says, but he's coming back to school tomorrow, and if I ever hear about anything like this again, I'm not coming back to you. I'm going over your head, and we're going to keep going up until this doesn't happen again. And everything was good after that. My mom would say, when I come to school, I'm coming to defend you, but you better be right when I get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me find out. <laughs> Don't make me find out. That's right. And that was, um, that's sort of the way it was growing up. Like, I was talking to a friend of mine. We were talking about, uh, uh, we were talking about, we're having a spirited conversation about racism, right? And he, And we went to high school and he was like, well, Joseph, come on now. So now, did you did you ever feel anything racial in high school? And I was like, my high school years, I was pretty popular, you know. People people liked me, my high, but that doesn't mean nothing was going on. Then I started thinking back about it. Like when we were, Victor was eight, I was eleven. You know, we're coming home from a gig, and like a police officer out of nowhere pulls us over, and he's got a revolver at my dad's head. Right, we're we're all in the car, eight. Eight to 16, my mom's in the car, his mother's in the car, and we're about to watch him get his head blown off for nothing, right? Yeah. So I hadn't really thought about that, but I was like, that's 
you know, when we call the police, maybe we have two different expectations when they show up. Yeah. Especially in the South, especially then. (laughs) Especially then. And I told him, I said, like, like we lived in an all black neighborhood and it wasn't like the ghetto or nothing. I mean, it it was a lot of retired military people, front yards, backyards, two, three cars, all of that. But I remember our neighborhood was right next to some apartments. And at the apartments, the apartments took all the rims off the baskets so so the kids couldn't come over and play basketball. So I remember when we played basketball, we played it on the telephone pole. The the numbers were about, you know, nine feet, ten. If you shot the ball and hit the numbers, that was a basket because we had no baskets to play on. So, you know, my high school, my high school days were good, but my parents knew that we were in the South and they knew the South very well because they grew up in it. Yeah, they grew up in Jim Crow. They grew up in Jim Crow, which is, that's not ancient history. That's like one generation back, right? My mother grew up, they grew up in, you know, white only bathrooms, white only, uh, you know, white only, black only, that whole thing. And, um, but what I also remember is they didn't want us. They wanted to make sure, like, my, I remember my dad telling this story a bunch about this lynch mob chasing this, this black guy. And he's running, 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 running. And he goes into a home and up the chimney, right? Hiding. Okay. So the person from the lynch mob comes in and looks up the chimney. And they look right at each other. And the lynch mob guy says, there's nobody in here. And they keep running, right? So my dad would tell that story. He was basically, he would say, not all white people have been. There's a lot of good white people. Because they wanted to make sure that we weren't, that we knew the world that we were in, but that we weren't, you know, that we didn't think that everybody was out to get us. And they worked to make sure that we had balance. My mom really made sure that we, uh, that we could control our tempers. Now, this is the crazy thing. Yeah, five boys. Yeah, like, five, five boys. boys. Oh, boy. Think about having, having met the five of you, none of you <laughs> would get a rise with fire under your ass. I mean, you guys are the most even-tempered humans I've ever met. My mother wouldn't let us argue. Very what opinionated was she, What boy. would she do if you argued? How would she like... Well, we knew not to if she said... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she would say, if you're right... If you know you're right, you don't have to keep saying it. You know, if you know you're right, then just hold it. You don't have to make the other person think you're right. And like Victor always had a temper, right? And, you know, Victor's little (laughs) and really always was really ahead of, ahead of his time talented. Like he was, when I used to play like sports on the playground, I was like, let me have Victor. You can pick whoever you want. Just let me have (laughs) <laughs> and then we would go win whatever we did. I never lost as long as I had Victor. But Victor had a bad temper and people tended to pick on him because he was little. Yeah. So one particular day I remember uh somebody had shoved a friend of mine had shoved Victor into a pile of dog doo-doo, right? Mm-hmm. When you're a kid, dog doo-doo is like that's the most caustic substance on the planet, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty caustic when you're an adult, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? You can't really think more caustic than that when you're a kid, right? That's yeah. like top of the list. So, Victor, we lived just outside of Sacramento, which is maybe, I don't know, maybe 90 minutes or something from, from Oakland. So, every now and then, my dad would take us to see the Oakland A's. 
we had going on that day. So we had like, there was a Joe Rudy bat in the, in the closet and a, a Gene Tennis and a Campy Campaneris and a Reggie Jackson and all of those. So Victor came home and my mom <clears throat> was sitting in the garage next door. Ironically, here's a footnote to the story. Our next door neighbor was, uh, you probably would know the name because he coached the Mets for a while, Jerry Manuel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jerry Manuel is the only high school player in history to have a pro contract waiting for him in baseball, basketball, and football. And football, He was our next-door neighbor. So my mom is sitting in the garage with his mother, and Victor comes home, calms himself down long enough to walk past my mom because if she sees a mess, she's going to stop him. Calms himself down, goes in the house, and gets the Reggie Jackson. <laughs> Baseball bat. <laughs> Baseball bat. And he calms himself down, right, and walks back to the thing. And Victor's like, you know, he's got this bat. He's going to lay this dude out, right? So I'm like, Mom! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My mom claimed I would always call. I would always tell on Victor, Mom! <laughs> and she went up and she, you know, got Victor and and, and she would – the whole long story, my footnotes are longer than the story, but this, she would make sure that we learned to control our temper because she knew, you know, angry and black doesn't end up very well. No. Right. So, um, and she said as bad as Victor's temper was, Roy's was even worse. Two of the calmest people I know. Now, yeah. yeah. Now, right? <laughs> Victor and Roy had bad tempers. I mean, Victor, I remember his temper, but Roy, that seems hard to believe. Mm-hmm. But it's so passionate. It's so passionate. You have to make a person learn to control it. Otherwise, so those are the things that my parents worked on: self-control, uh, awesome. uh, self-respect. You know, being articulate, being knowledgeable. She said, "If you know how to read, write, and do your math, everything else is possible." And then she knew that we were focused on our. I keep hitting this thing. She knew we were focused on our instruments. And uh, they just gave us the framework for success. Yeah. They sound like but the perfect parents. They, right? yeah. they were, I mean, all, all of you, I, I obviously, I never met Rudy, and unfortunately, because he passed, but um, mm-hmm. the four of them, I've met the other, the other three brothers, and you guys are great. I mean, I've, you know, eaten at your house with them, and they're yeah, just the I mean, nicest parents, guys. I, I, I mean, who's perfect, right? But they were really good. I mean, really, really good parents that gave us uh, focus and direction and example, because I mean it's like I tell people, especially young parents. I give, I, uh, they'll ask for advice, or probably don't ask for advice. I probably just give it. <laughs> <laughs> but the main, I, what I tell young parents all the time is to remember that your kids learn much more by watching how you do things, and they remember what you told them. Absolutely. Like if you think, you think about your childhood. You can remember a few things that they said, but you remember every single time they punished you and you didn't think you deserved it. Absolutely. Right? That stuff has burned into your life. And those <laughs> are the things that are important to make yeah. sure that if you punish them first, that they know that they're wrong. Otherwise you're just reinforcing uh, injustice. If no, you punish no. somebody, that person doesn't think they did anything wrong. You just teach them that the world is unjust and, and they learn everything by watching how you do things much more than that talk that you were going to have 
you know, I wonder when I'm going to have the talk and they've already been in the special drawer. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys, you guys all have great kids too. And they're all musicians also. You got a deep bench in the Wooten family. Yeah. I tell you, so my, my, uh, my, my youngest, uh, is as talented as, is as, is as naturally talented as everyone else. But he's the drummer, right? No, the, my oldest, Jesse's the drummer. Jesse's the drummer. Jesse's the drummer, right. So Justice, when he was a kid, uh, Justice could sing. I just found out he could dance. Justice was <laughs> an adult before I found out he could dance. But he was singing with my then wife, Heidi. And he got the applause. I mean, they, they, they applauded for him and he hated it. He did not like that stage attention. Yeah. Really? Which, is a, which at first was a little bit uh, unpleasant for him because, you know, all the Wootens play music. What are you doing not? Yeah, yeah. So I, I had to remind him and say, you might be the smartest Wooten of all, you know? <laughs> <laughs> because you ain't trying to go down the music road. But he wound up being a really good athlete. Yeah. He, was, uh, he was a state champion in the 300-meter hurdles two years in a row in high school and he's still super fast right now. He was like, I wish I had my older brother's height because that'd have been, been but yeah, Victor's daughter was in NYU for music, right? Didn't she, she graduated. Yep. And uh, yeah, his, uh, that's how long I know you. I remember when she was going in because I made a phone call. (laughs) So um, Victor's oldest, his oldest son is uh, at Michigan on a gymnastic scholarship. So he was a, he was the Tennessee regional champion. Yes. You know, I think a couple of years in a row. And then uh, his younger daughter plays violin. She's an actress. She sings, she's, she, she sings harmony. Like I, that's why I love her singing. Cause I love singing harmony too. Really talented. And then Victor's youngest Equally talented. Victor says he's maybe more naturally gymnastics gifted than his older son. But, you know, <laughs> being coached is not really his thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a great soccer player, though. Great soccer player. So it's a deep bench. Victor's got a family full of talent, too. Yeah, and his wife, like- is, his wife is an actress singer, too. So Yeah, she's a doll, too. I remember talking to her. Yeah, Holly. Really, it's a, it's a fun family. Yeah. A family to be a part of. You know, it's great, too, because not only, I mean, talented, like you were talking about Victor with Paganini, he was the, wasn't he, if I'm not mistaken, the first bassist to ever lead a symphony orchestra? Yes, he's the first. With an instrument he invented that you can use the bow on a guitar? Yes. (laughs) Yes, and and he wrote the symphony. (laughs) And he wrote the symphony. Yeah, and and, and he wrote the symphony. And he wrote it, yeah. It it was pretty impressive. I went and saw him at uh, the I always forget how to say the Schirmerhorn, the Schirmerhorn, whatever that German symphony hall in Nashville. And uh, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty cool to watch this electric bassist lead the orchestra with this thing that he wrote. (laughs) And, and uh, Roy, again, who's known as future man, didn't he create that drumming? Yeah. So, so when you see that, you've seen that, that triangular Zen drum. Yeah. It's the craziest thing. Zen drum was patterned after this, so I remember, I remember when we were living in California and Reggie had bought this beautiful hollow bodied guitar that he had planned on loading up with a bunch of electronics. 
So I remember Roy had this hollow body guitar, no strings, no, no uh, tuning pegs, just his body. And he was just sitting there tapping on it and sketching, tapping on it and sketching, tapping on it and sketching. And he wound up making this using Reggie's electronics guy. He mounted a drum machine here and then he had some triggers so he could trigger the drum sounds with both hands. So he could play over the pattern and play over top of it here. And he wound up being the drummer for this band named Faces playing this thing. So doing that, I remember he, he calls my mom and asks if she could, if he could borrow some money because there was a, a synthesizer guitar and he knew he had met an electronics guy working at Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, right? <laughs> Playing oompa drums, but designing. <laughs> he meets this guy that's playing, playing bass in one of the country shows who had an electronics uh, degree. So they come up with this idea of using the electronics in this, this synthesizer guitar called the Synth Axe. And he, they learned about these new triggers and stuff. And there they built this thing that Roy played with Bela Fleck and the Flectones. I remember, the, I remember seeing him. It's, yes. it's so crazy. It's so crazy because there was only one of them in the world. Like anytime you travel with an instrument, you always have two. Yeah, right, just in case. <laughs> so I was like, they traveled all over the world with this. Contract. Is he like holding it like a baby on his lap on the plane? Like, no, well, I would have let it out of my sight. I guess there was like a case. I'm not exactly sure how they did. <laughs> they traveled all over the world with this thing that there's only one of. And when you listen to Bela Fleck and the Flecktones music, it doesn't sound like there's a guy playing an electronic drum set. No, it sounds like drums. Like, it sounds like drums. It sounds like somebody doing some intricate drum work. And my family is fun and crazy. You know what I mean? And uh, just to, to, to go back to you, you were, if I'm not mistaken, aren't you born on Beethoven's birthday? No. I think I you're close, right? I was born on Beethoven's birthday because Beethoven was born. They're not sure if it was the 14th or the 16th. Right. And I was born on the 15th. You're the 15th, oh, yeah. Good. You're good. I was like, how cool would that have been to be born on Beethoven's birthday? And be a piano player. <laughs> and be a piano, and be, yes. So I was doing this gig called uh, Freedom Sings. And Freedom Sings was a, is a gig dedicated to the First Amendment, educating about the First Amendment. So the, the guy, Ken Paulson, that started it, used to, used to be the, uh, the editor the lead editor at USA Today. He might have helped found the paper, actually. And he knew how important it was for people to learn about the First Amendment because it's the document that separates us from the rest of the world, right? Absolutely, so, yeah. He knew that if he started giving lectures on the First Amendment, like, you know, he, as he put it, you just start hearing heads, foreheads hit desks, oh, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. he started trying to teach about it with music. So he had a panel of musicians that would play these songs that help, like uh, when he talked about uh, uh, Kent State, he'd have us play Ohio, right? Because oh, knew. right, oh, Fort Denton, Ohio, yeah, right. Yes, 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 yes. So um, I had a great time being a part of that. So the, there was a place called the First Amendment Center in Nashville. And I see this quote on the wall by, Ken, by a guy named... Uh, John Siegenthaler, who was in uh, part of uh, 
Kennedy's cabinet and one of the Freedom Riders. He got bloodied on those rides too. So I see a quote by him that was spoken on December 15th, 1991. It's on the wall. I'm like, my birthday is December 15th. <laughs> it was on December 15th because it was the, it was the, the, it was the 100 and it was the 200th anniversary of the first amendment, 1991, yeah. 1791 ratified. So I'm like, I got the same birthday as the bill of rights, the first amendment. I thought that's, 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 cool. that's pretty that's cool, cool too. That's even cooler than Beethoven. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I was, I was born on the 170th anniversary of the bill of rights and the first amendment. So I always tell people that gives me, License to talk a lot because I was born. Trying <laughs> to speak my mind. Freedom, freedom of speech. That's and I guess right. this this year is the two hundred and fiftieth birthday of Beethoven, I believe. Is it really? Yeah, two fifty. They were planning big celebrations, but yeah, yeah COVID has I'd say changed COVID a lot. Is, uh, but you know what? It's it, it's um it's been a bad thing, as we know. The good part of it, though is that it's forced us to pay attention to some things. And right? each other. And each other. That's the main one because mm-hmm. it stopped us from going to and fro yeah. so much. So like, like now I've noticed if I make a point, if I make a point, people are more apt to listen to it because we don't get a chance to run to and fro. Like right now I'd be on the road somewhere. Yeah. What I mean, I wouldn't be home right now. Somebody called, I still get people called, like somebody called me the other day and said, yesterday, are you guys going to be at Jones Beach? Everything is closed. We're not going to be at Jones Beach. We're going to be at Jones Beach, but no one's going to be in the theater. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're going to test everybody before they come in. And two weeks yeah. later, when we get the results, we'll let them do a concert. But, um, People are pay, people are having to pay attention yeah. a bit more, and that part of it is good. Like there's a, there's always a silver lining uh, to everything, and we're still. I mean, we're music wise, we're still waiting to see how the dust settles. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know what the music business is going to be going forward. No. And some some kind of way, people are still going to consume music. We'll see. You know, if we can, if we can still get this, paid for it. Right? This is yeah, and entertainment and hospitality are going to be changed dramatically from this. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. What the direction is going to be? I have no idea. But like, if there's a vaccine, maybe I don't know. But you also have like festivals are canceling well into next year because they can't get insurances. That's <laughs> right. And the thing is, so it's like vaccines. There's there's so much distrust. Yep. Even if the vaccine is perfect, who trusts the vaccine, right? Yeah. That's the argument. Well, you have the argument of there's a flu shot and still a million people die of the flu. Right. That's my, yes. And then like, it's like, it's, it's, this one's a tough one, right? Because like, like I have people, I know people that like, that feel like it's a man-made virus. And because they feel it's a man-made virus, they feel that people aren't really getting infected by it. And I'm like, you're conflating two arguments. You know what I mean? Yeah, right, yeah, right. Like, man-made have, doesn't have, mean you can't get infected. Yes. Like, I, I have I have my doubts about somebody like Ada Bat and infected the world. I have my doubts about that, right? Yeah. If somebody believes it, I'm cool with it. If somebody doesn't believe it, 
I think both of those make sense. But we see in real time people falling. Like my my uh, my wife's the 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 mother of her ex. She went to Florida. Uh, she was healthy. Somebody flew in, didn't know they got infected on the plane. She got it from them. And, you know, a few days, maybe two weeks later or something, she's gone, right? Yeah. And that's like, that. Is it is it infectious? Well, that's a different argument. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 like, yeah. I'm, the thing about it being man-made, I can get with you on that one, but don't breathe on me while you're making an argument. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Turn your head. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, make that argument to a mask, man. Yeah, you know, exactly. And it's 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 forcing us to deal with some stuff. You know what I yeah, mean? Absolutely. Like mask, no mask, has less to do with whether you believe in the virus or not, and more to do with whether you care about how I feel about it. Right, right. Right? That's yeah. just... Well, that's yeah. what I said. I'm like, yeah. you know, if you can't social distance and you're not outside, put a damn mask on. I don't care if you believe it or you don't believe it. Just put it on anyway. What, what's the harm? What's the harm? And I'm, I'm listen, I'm, I'm really right wing. I've always been a conservative. And even mm-hmm. I'm like, put a freaking mask on if you go inside. You go yeah. into a store. Put, really? Is It's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. And it's just the main, the main thing is just, it's sort of like if you go, if you go to somebody's religious service. Yeah, if you're not that religion, like do what they do when they go to this. Right. If if you're going into if you're going into a temple or you're going into um, uh, a Muslim mosque, put a head covering on because that's just or don't go in. Absolutely, and that's sort of that's the part that we're sort of we're sort of learning it. Some of it we're being forced to learn. Like I talk to my friends, right? I got friends, and this is I'm going where you said you didn't want to go. But I got friends that like really hate the president. Like they're so anti Donald Trump, but they're more obnoxious than he is in saying that he's obnoxious. And I'm like, it's a vicious circle. Yeah. It's like if you don't like division, then don't be divisive, right? right. It's like right. you can, there, there's things that I disagree with him about. I try to be respectful with it because the world has enough disrespect. Exactly. Right? Like, exactly. I'm a firm believer, like, like just, have, you should give to the world what you want in return. I want to be kind, compassionate, empathetic. You know, you want these things back. You have to, you can't be an asshole to someone and expect kindness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have, I have, like, I have, I'll make a point on my, because on, that's what I do on my Facebook page. I make points because I know they're going to start the conversation and the conversation is what I want. But I'll make a point and then somebody will, he'll come in talking about the racist in chief or the, and I'm like, you're not going to convert anybody like with that one. No, you're going to, you're going to solidify them. Yeah. You're going to, you're yeah. going to put them they're right in their spot. In their heels. Hmm? You're, they're going to dig in their heels. The facts are going to go out the window and the fight is going to start. I had a person that came in and he started calling people fascists. And I was like, this, that's just offensive. He was like, no, the fascist is, that's in the dictionary. If you look up the word fascist, it's not. I said, yeah. I said, but here, if you call somebody, fa- those are fighting words. Yeah, exactly. Like, nobody wants to have a, immediately, nobody wants a discussion. The fight is starting. And at least don't start it on my page. Like, start, yeah, it, start, it, somewhere. <laughs> start it somewhere else. Because we're trying to, 
we're trying to move some ideas around. And most of the time, if you can talk with, most of the time, like I'm not crazy. Most of the time, if you can talk with the person and you can just develop some respect, then you'll find out that your conversation has some overlap. Because if you love the country and I love the country, if you love it as a conservative and I love it as a liberal or centrist or whatever it is I call myself, I try not to call myself anything, then our conversation has some overlap because of what we both want. Right. Well, I mean, that's the old saying. There's, there's more that, that unites us than divides us if yes. you actually have that conversation. Most people, you know, they, they listen, at the end of the day, most people want to take care of their families. Right, right. You know, they want to provide for their children and get them a better life. They, You know, you may come at it differently, but the ultimate goal is to have a better country right, that's, right. that people care and are compassionate. And, and your and kids it, live a better life than you do. That's like no universal. <laughs> and here's the thing that I know, like, I know, I know that most people who are the most outwardly racist are there because they're fearful. Of right? course. Racism is based off of fear. Absolutely. And most of the time you fear the person that you don't know. You fear, you fear you them know. because of who you think they're going to be. So I like, I feel pretty confident in my ability to make a point. Right. And I know that a person that comes to my page as divisive as they want to be. I know there's about 7 billion people in the world and they're here with me. Right. Yeah, right. So they're, I know there's something that they've come to me to get, even though they may not know it. I also know that togetherness feels good. I know that being made to feel sensible feels good. Mm-hmm. So they come to my page sometimes to be as divisive as possible. And they'll call me an idiot and a race baiter and all that stuff. And I'll tell them that, like, I, good example. I had a friend who, who, who he, he unfriended me, actually. <laughs> but, but he had made a point, you know, and he even started it out with African-Americans. If you don't like what's going on in this country, feel free to leave. And then he mentioned somehow, mentioned South Africa, even. So I went to him, I won't call his name, and I said, your name? And I said... <laughs> Certainly, you're not telling me that because I want to try to create a more perfect union, you want me to go back to Africa. I mean, I know that's not what you're saying. And I said, because I know you personally, we've talked on the telephone. I know you personally. I know you're not racist. But the thing that you just said made it easier for all the races. (laughs) It just made it easier for all the races. I know you're not racist, but the thing you just said is problematic because you know, you don't think you're, you didn't mean it for me, but you're talking to me, African-American, I'm African-American, and I do have problems that I feel that I have a, I have the right to voice because I want the country yeah, better, not just for me, not just for the black team, I want it better for you too. For everybody, yeah, for the whole yeah. team. <laughs> Isn't that the point of the country yeah, to be able to like Talking about, about police violence, right? A police officer that won't give you abuse for something as trivial as the color of your skin is less likely to give you abuse for whatever that other trivial thing is. Yeah, right, exactly, right? yeah. If we find a way for police officers to be better in those ways, they'll be better in, all in, ways. Other, right. in other ways too. So it's like, it's the conversation that needs to be had, but it needs to be had with respect. And I have- And civility. Yes. And the thing about, like, I have this, um, 
I have this, this thing that I do when I'm talking to musicians and I'll tell them that what rhythm does in music, what rhythm does, it takes things that aren't like each other at all and makes them work together. Mm-hmm. Like that's what, that's why music is so good. Like bass and drums is nothing like keyboards, right? Mm-hmm. But rhythm makes them work together to, and that diversity makes great music, right? right? There's an analogy for life in there, right? Yeah. So in life, it's not rhythm. Respect makes ideas, mindsets that aren't like each other, relatable. So in the same way, when I'm talking to mu- musicians, you know, like a, if I drop a chair and cough, they, got two, they don't have anything to do with each other. Drop it. But if I do it on the beat, drop, cough. <laughs> Drop, uh, drop, drop, cough, drop. Now we can dance to it. Rhythm has made those things relate in a way that, that's good for both of us. Same thing with respect. If you are racist as can be, and I'm black, and we respect each other, we have created a way for us to get out of it because you're getting to know me. Because right. seldom does racism happen with the person that you know. Like, in right. fact, I've talked to... I've talked to some pretty racist folks and I'll say, listen, rather than go back and forth on Facebook, just call me yeah. and we'll call. Now he's the nicest guy I've ever heard. Hey guy, how you doing? Well, no, no, listen, I, this is the way I see it. Uh, guy, right. Mm-hmm. Now that we're talking to each other, we're more on Facebook, right? Yeah, you're also not you hiding behind a keyboard. Yeah, you can go back to Africa and yeah. you're talking to all, all African Americans as if all mm-hmm. of us think the same. <laughs> it's like we all had that meeting to make sure that we think this way. Make sure everyone's on the same page. Yeah. So it's, but, but my thing is, my thing is, is that I know respect feels good. Yeah. That's just undeniable. Camaraderie feels good. That's undeniable. Mm-hmm. To, be made, to be made to feel that you're intelligent feels good. That's undeniable. So I know that I have those things working for me before we come into the conversation. And I also know that you're here with me. Yeah, right. right. So you're talking. Yeah. We're talking. Yeah. We're talking. So even if I also know that other people watch the conversation. So even if that person leaves the conversation as belligerent as when they walked in, I know that sensible people are looking at the conversation and seeing how not to be. Yeah. And when we, that's what I think it's important for people to have the conversations out loud because most of us are passionate and it doesn't come out until Trayvon Martin or Rodney King or... Yeah, yeah or the names we have. Yeah, yeah or the president's next tweet, right? Yeah. You know, we don't really talk to each other. We talk at each other. But I had this conversation on my Facebook page, really good, with this conservative high school friend of mine. And I was making the point about uh, William Barr was on the... He was in front of Congress and he had made the point that he didn't think structural racism existed uh, in the police as it pertained to the police. So I put the post up, like, how can you expect somebody to, to, to uh, defend something that they don't even feel exists? Right. The person, you know, of course, you know, there's always people on your page, pat you on the back. Great point. Joseph, great point. You're such a great guy. (laughs) And then a friend of mine said, well, there's no reason to even have that conversation until we tackle affirmative action. And uh, wow, that's a long stretch. Yes. So there we were, we were in it. Right. So I said, 
I said, well, as far as, as I see it, affirmative action can only be as illegal as racial exclusion, right? They can't be like one can't be good and the other one's bad. They either so and he was, you know, we went and we had a very super substantive conversation, not an argument. Nobody called anybody anything. And at the end of it, not at the end of it, but after we, you know, 50, 50, you know, messages back and forth, messages back and forth. I thanked him for the conversation, uh, as opposed, you know, conversation that wasn't an argument. And uh, and I said I went back and read it all. There's so much information. There's so much information and not accusations. And uh, and it was good. He's still a friend of mine. Didn't unfriend you. That's a good step. <laughs> yeah. But, but the thing is, is that we, we both recognize, like, he didn't think the exclusion, racial exclusion was right either. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but he was like, well, you shouldn't judge Barr by, you know, one statement. I'm like, but it's not the only time he said it. And I'm judging him by his actions, too, because there's nobody black on his staff. And he's like the leader of the justice department. Right. I mean, he's the guy you're supposed to go to, to get justice. And you don't even think you got a problem. So he understood my point. Things are a little bit better. We're still friends. We had the conversation out in the open and the world has a little bit more respect in it, even though he probably still feels the way he feels. I still feel, feel the way I feel, but I like to talk to people that don't think like I do because I learn more, even about the things that I disagree with. Mm-hmm. Like I love, I love talking to people who are like way more conservative than I am because it's probably why we got along. <laughs> probably so. But I mean, but, but you, I, I, I learned something. I learned something from it. Like I remember I was talking to a friend of mine who was just like, if he wasn't racist, he had all the symptoms. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> I moved right on the edge. <laughs> I'm telling you that we were talking about the impeachment. Right. And I remember saying Congress says, you know, that the house is the only one that can do oversight. And if he doesn't listen to Congress, that has to be. A, and, and then the person said, well, yeah, but he has a right not to do it. And then it goes to the Supreme court. And I was like, I never would have thought about that. I don't agree with it, but it's you a know what I mean, had it's I not, had I not talked to him, I never would have even thought about it. So we went, we went back and forth. Yeah, we it's, and forth. it's just nice to talk to somebody, even if you don't have the same agreements on life, that will just listen to your side and understand. What yes, yes. Because Instead of just being like, you're wrong, you know, F you, you know. Yes, because so I'm a musician, right? I have a, mu- I have musical way of thinking about things. What makes music incredible is because things are different. Right. It's because things, not because they're the same, but just because things that are different cooperate with each other. Absolutely. And it's life is the same way. We, we're not supposed to all think the same. And I can't expect, I can't expect somebody with the way that I grew up around musicians on stages. I can't think the guy who grew up on a farm in Georgia to like come and see things the way that I see it. Absolutely. But we're both on the same planet, and just like music, if somebody's instrument is not like yours, 
it takes rhythm and musicality to make those things cooperate. And because, because music is cooperation for the benefit of all of us. And it's the same way, different backgrounds, different religions, no religion, different education, no education. We got to find a way. And uh, uh, respect is, respect is cultural rhythm. Basically. So you get stuck now. You have to answer my questions. Okay. Ready? I'm ready. (laughs) I'm ready. The first question. What is the most annoying question people ask you? The most annoying? That's a hard one because I don't really get annoyed by people very well, but <laughs> very much. I like, I like people a lot. <laughs> but but um, I won't say annoying. The, the question that makes me laugh, when people, like people will ask, like, like how much did the brothers fight when we grew up? No, they, okay. They don't believe it when I say we didn't argue. We didn't and we don't, you know. Now, that being said, there's a downside to not arguing, right? Right. If you don't argue, sometimes there's issues that you never get to until you should have gotten to it, <laughs> right? There's that too. But um, that's the one I get, you know what I mean? Or like, uh, or uh, quest- yeah, questions about brothers not getting along. I get a lot about uh, what's your favorite gig, you know what I mean? Like, I like them all. I just like yeah. <laughs> So I get that. One. If you didn't like it, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, g- generally, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not offended by, I'm not offended by people too much. So if my if my wife was here, she could probably she would probably no, that's not the truth. When people ask, <laughs> I can't think of anything right now. <laughs> what is what is your favorite way to eat a potato? Um, sweet potato and baked. Ooh, oh yeah, yeah. Like, man! I made the other day. I had a taste for sweet potatoes. I went and bought some sweet potatoes, and I went to the internet to find the best way to make a sweet potato. And I put it in the oven. It's this particular thing said, uh, "Sweet potatoes don't be afraid of heat." Right. So mm-hmm. I turned it up to four twenty-five. They said bake it at four twenty-five for half an hour. Turn it and bake it the other half an hour, and it was it was perfect. <laughs> I gotta remember that. <laughs> what would the title of your autobiography be? Uh, two of them. One would be "I Matter." Uh, I'm not wearing my "I Matter" shirt. This is a hand of soul. The other one would be "Nothing Is Everything." Nothing. Is Wasn't everything. that the title of your TED talk? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, it was. Nothing is. Um, the, the thing about. Yeah, nothing, nothing, zero, the, the concept of zero blows my mind the more I study it. You know, it's, the, the, the thing about nothing is everything, and I promise I won't go too long on this because I still might go <laughs> get ready to dive into the rabbit hole. But what got me on it is, you know, the equator is zero, zero longitude, 100% latitude. It's nothing and it's everything, right? It's zero and 100% simultaneously. 100% longitude, 0% latitude. And where that point meets is this place that ain't a place that's nothing, but it's, it's zero, but it's 100%. And that like took me, it took me down the rabbit hole. Every number, you know, it creates elements, but every number has a zero in front of it that keeps it stable. Yeah. Everywhere there's a number, there's creation. Everywhere 
there's a number there's zero. Nothing is. Should I be worried that you have a secret room with a bunch of zeros with like lines <laughs> up together? <laughs> what? Check, hold on. I want you to see this. You just made me think about something. Here it is. I want to know. I am crazy like this. So I, I, I am. So this page, look at this page. Can you see that? Oh, yeah. Yes, all of those are singular dots. Oh, wow. <laughs> those are all singular dots. I had the idea that I wanted to blacken a page one dot at a time with dots that didn't touch each other. Oh, Jesus. Not just like indiscriminate. Yeah, yeah. Dot. And I did it. It was my pastime for, I don't know how long I did it, and I stopped doing it. Because I had so much fun. I knew it was something that nobody else would do. <laughs> but I would do it, and then I'd look up, and the whole world would be blurry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because you were Yeah, because my eyes just kept going in and in and in. Do you in find it, like, that it was very meditative? It was. It yeah. was. And um, You're focused, but you're not. You're almost, like, like in this tunnel where you tune in. Yes, yeah. and see, because of your artwork, I know you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. 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 And, I also um, know what you're talking about, about the blurry eye thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that you would. I think that you would. But I just like, I like sort of having my, uh, uh, being able to sort of start to understand the mysteries, the mysteries of life. Because, you know, the essence of life is less in understanding the stuff and more in understanding how they connect. How everything right. connects, yeah. Absolutely. Like, so in the, in the TED Talk, I did this thing. Uh, 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 I did, uh, I played, uh, I think that was, yeah, I think that was it. And I asked them if they knew what it was, and they didn't. I said, these are all the notes to the national anthem. But it doesn't sound like the national anthem. At it's all the components of the national anthem. Nobody's hand is over their heart, right? Because you find out the music is actually in the spaces in between. It's the it's the intelligent use of space that makes it music, not the components of the music, right? There's the there's all the components of the song, but until you intelligently use space, what is space? Space is right. Yeah. yeah. Until until. Right. After you do that, then we can have music. Life yeah. is the same way. When we see each other, we have to intelligently use space to make things not be bad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In the same way, having the right having the right notes doesn't necessarily make you right. This is not the national anthem. I can have the right notes, but that's the beginning of it. Right. That's not the end. Once you have the right notes then you have to go do the right thing with mm -hmm. the notes. And that's the part that people miss in conversation. They think they're right. So then they can go so, 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 asshole. Right. Yeah. That's not the use. That's not the meaning of information is not to yeah. hit somebody ahead with it. Then you got to go do the right thing with the information <laughs> to make things better. Okay. The longest answer in the world. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. What, what was the biggest turning point in your life so far? The biggest turning point. There's been a few of them. One, I was born with asthma. So one of them was like having asthma push me towards nutrition. Because that's really sort of turned my life around. 
studying nutrition. The other one was Mary and my wife. That was a that she's was a good a, choice. We love her. That was a that was a great that was a great choice. Um, <laughs> one thing I can really say, she's a person that's always worked hard and been successful. That's I've been nice. a musician my whole life. Uh, comfortable with the amount of success you get from playing music. And that sort of changed my outlook when I met her to do things with the intention of it working as opposed to just doing it for the intention of it being good, but probably not going anywhere. Right, right. right? That, there's a, that book, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, talks about oh, yeah. Yeah. the rich way of thinking, you know, like you spend all your money and uh, you spend all your money on things that other people need. And then if there's anything less, anything, I'm sorry, if there's anything left, and I'll get myself something. And a rich person takes care of their needs. And then if there's something that they need after that, they'll work harder to make sure that it gets there. Right. And I remember being the other guy, right? You pay all of it and go, oh man, I wish I had something. Well, one of these days, one yeah. of these days I'm going to, and one of these days, you know, before you know it, you know. Yeah, there's no more days, right? There's no more days. What are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? Uh, my kids, absolutely. That's one. That's certainly one of them. I had a conversation with my son, uh, my younger one, and he was telling me about something that I told him a long time ago that really helped him. And I was talking to him about about having heart, right? And I said, I said the downside of having heart is like your heart gets broke. That's the downside yeah. of it. But art is the thing that when you were racing, that would make you want the finish line more than the other person, mm-hmm. right? Makes you want the finish line more than you, than the other person did, but it also makes you hurt more when something happens. And he was like, if you get second, basically. Yeah. He was like, I'm glad you, I'm glad you told me that because he was, you know, it just, that made me, that made me feel good. And uh, what was the question again? <laughs> what are you most proud of? What am I most, yeah. There's that, and I'm 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 proud of uh, I'm proud that I've been able to turn my asthma around nutritionally, as opposed to just having to be medicated. Oh, I'm, happy, yeah. I'm happy that I have that much discipline. I'm yeah. proud of my I'm proud of my discipline. I got that from my dad. My dad was like that. What takes up too much of your time? <laughs> well, well, what takes up too much of my time? I know one of them is like musicians. Going back to my wife and I, my wife is a business person. Business people make things happen. Right? We need to get to there. I need to make some things happen to get to there. Mm-hmm. Musicians, we're creative. So we wait for something. We wait for an idea to fall in. You're right. <laughs> so what do I do too much of waiting? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like there's more stuff. There's more stuff that I could do. But creatively, I need... Creatively, I need that quiet spot to be able to get to the idea. So I'll catch myself. There's my wife. She wakes up. She hits the ground running. And there I am. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, there I am, like, you know, waiting for, waiting for this next big thing. And it's fortunately, I have an understanding wife that understands that. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and and gives me my chance to to wait for these music ideas to come in. That's like a good yin yang effect. It really it really is. 
It really is. We, we, uh, we, we get along well and we understand each other well and we recognize that we both made a really good choice. <laughs> what is your favorite smell? My favorite smell? Ooh, uh, let me think. My favorite s- smell. Um, hmm. My favorite smell. Hey, Steph. <laughs> huh? She says cinnamon. Cinnamon? <laughs> I, do like the, I do like the smell of cinnamon. It's a good smell. <laughs> what gets you fired up? What gets me fired up? Oh, shoot. Um, politics is one. And not, not for the reason that, the mo- that most people think. Politics gets me fired up because I know that it's a chance to bring people together if we have the conversation correctly. So uh, um, culture gets me fired up, like race, when we start talking about racism or the lack thereof, that gets me going, again, for the same reason. We have a chance to undo some -hmm. things so that we can all be better. Good music, especially good funk music. Oh, man, I was watching... Mm. I was watching some old Ohio players for it. Oh, the Ohio players. Oh, Dang. And I saw, I saw, and this was, I, I was watching Sugarfoot Bonner, watching Sugarfoot, the, oh, the singer. And this is, this is long after the band was done. Like the band was finished in, in 79. The tax yeah. man came and got all of them, unfortunately. But Sugarfoot was singing they were singing a song called FOP. And it was at Sinbad, you know, Sinbad used to do those funk festivals down in the bottom. So this had by now, it's like 19, probably 1990 something. And there's Sugarfoot, just, just everything that I like about funk music. (laughs) I'm too young and uh, you're too old. And there's, you know, he's got the hair that's down. It's just like everything that's right. Just everything that's right about music. is just, I understand what people mean when they say like they go to church and they get that thing. I felt like I was, I felt like what I was getting from that music It's like what people get. Kind of like an energy buzz in a sense. It, yes, like, it really like, is. But the reason music does it, the reason music does it is because music is life as it should be. Right. Music is life as it should be. And when you get a chance to experience life as it should be, it feels it feels great. Feels awesome. Yeah. 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 Music is like different things that cooperate for the benefit of both of us. You have to come together to even listen to it. And then there you are. That's why music, that's why music is so powerful. It's the reason why a politician ends that boring speech with With music. What's up? Believe because music (laughs) has a better chance of getting the point across than that speech that somebody's getting ready to contradict any minute now. Well, that was a uh, Beethoven, right? Beethoven said, uh, "When I play a mass, you you pray. When I play a march, you go to war." It's like yeah. teach, it's like it's you know, everybody should have a theme music. It's that, well, that, that's right. But my my brother Roy made a good point. He said that everybody remembers Beethoven, Brahms, Mozart, 
the great musicians, Roy said, who was the king when Beethoven was around? Who was the king, the the king of the queen with most, nobody remembers this. Such a good point, yeah. Yeah. Nobody remembers it, right? And (laughs) if you do memorable music, like like, uh, James Brown, Prince, Michael Mm -hmm. Jackson, whomever it was, as time goes on, nobody's going to remember who that president was. No. But, At that time, no. Yeah, they'll be singing they 1990. They'll remember memories based upon when that song was playing. Yeah, right. like you, hear, you know, you hear something, you're like, yeah. oh, it's almost like a smell trigger, but with like with music, it's like a noise trigger. Yeah. Like, oh, I remember. Yeah, this I mean, is like. They'll be playing 1999 and 2099. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, uh, uh, you know, there's politicians come and go but music lasts forever and so does the good musician because what we deal in is life as it should be. And we can make you feel life as it should be. And that's why it's important. That's what my mom knew. That's why it's important for somebody, for a musician to be the right kind of person because that tool that a musician has is so powerful. It's so potentially powerful in the hands of the right person. There's a reason why when the U.S. is trying to go to the Vietnam War, they got to get John Lennon out of the country. Yeah, right, they exactly. Thinking here ain't nobody going. Yeah, right? exactly. They're listening to uh, give peace a chance, you're yeah. in trouble, yeah. Music, music could do, music and that long-haired musician could do what the politician couldn't do. Yeah, move you know, the people. With all, that po- with all that political power, the musician can do. It's same thing with James Brown, Martin Luther King gets killed. James Brown's in Boston. If there ever should have been a riot in any city, it should have been Boston. Absolutely. When King gets killed. James Brown stops a riot with the funk, right? Yeah. He stops it with music. And that sort of scared, that sort of scared J. Edgar Hoover and the boys. They're like a person who can stop a riot, can start one. Absolutely. Right? So those musicians, they're powerful people, powerful movers of culture. And if, if the right person has that tool, they can really change things for the better more than a politician can, because your favorite music, whatever your favorite song is, there's nothing anybody can say or do that can take that song out of there. Absolutely. So if I play something that you feel, there's no anti-speech or anti-music somebody can do to make it come out of there. When the president gives a state of the union address, somebody's going to come and and attempt to debunk it in just a minute and it's going to muddy the water. You kind of walk away just kind of scratching your head and going, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> if music connects, nobody can get it out of there. Yeah. What do you wish you knew more about? What do I wish I knew more about? Um, I could always use more nutrition knowledge. Yeah. Uh, I think the most important thing to learn about is yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wish I knew... You know, I wish I was deeper into the rabbit hole on myself. That that's a that's a the easiest and the hardest thing to do is to be yourself. Absolutely. And what I mean is, it's unavoidable. I can't be anybody else. But like somebody points the camera at you, and suddenly, <laughs> yeah, you don't know what to do, right? You can't be anybody else. But how to be yourself is more elusive because because you are the observed and you're also the observer. That's what consciousness is. It's like you taking a look at yourself. 
and in between there, it's hard to navigate. Yeah, right? absolutely. And that's that's why it's important. It's important to know who you are, but it's a tough thing to do being the observer and the observed. You know what I mean? At it's the like same a, time, yeah. The mirror looking at the mirror is like nobody really knows which one was the first one. Yeah. And, and between there, you're trying to get an answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question. What's the one question you would want everyone you meet to answer? The question I would want everybody to answer, um, who are you? That's one. <laughs> who are you and and who are we? Ooh, I yeah. Who are you and who are we? Because everybody, I think everybody thinks that they know who they are. Not everybody recognizes how important it is to know how you relate to other people. Right. And we don't take, we don't look at that enough. A person makes a point and they'll go, I'm sorry, man. That's just who I am. As if yeah. that's enough. That's not enough. I'm in the room too. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, that's just who I am. Well, you kind of stink. You know what I mean? You kind of, you, yeah. you could probably. I didn't realize you were shower. the sun in the solar system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're not, we're not the only ones here. So yeah. it's important to know who you are. Equally as important, sometimes more important to know who, how who you are relates to other people in the same vicinity. All right, that. and now uh, we're coming to the end here. Shameless plugs. What what can you plug? What do you have going on? Well, let's see. So I have a, uh, I have a, a charity called uh, I Matter, You Matter, and uh, the charity the the we share we uh, have some I Matter. Hold on, do I have it in my pocket? No, I don't. Shoot, I left in the room. We have masks, I Matter, You Matter masks that are for sale at josephwooten.com. Um, shoot, uh, gig-wise, gig there's a gig that I'm trying to do online every Thursday. Oh, Call cool. it Thoughtful Thursday, uh, uh, Funk to the Rescue with Joseph Wooten and the Hands of Soul. We're working out the technical details on that. Hopefully, it'll be available this Thursday and Thursdays following. Um, hey, Steph, come here for a sec. What's your Facebook so that people can come chat? Facebook, I'm um, Joseph Wooten, and there's a Joseph Wooten Hands of Soul is my fan page. You can go to josephwooten.com and Steph, what come in, come in screen. We Hi. want to see you. Yay. <laughs> How are you? This is, oh, here you go. This is the best choice. Oh, I've yeah, I figured she couldn't hear us. Hi. 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 Guys, so they're, they're asking me for for shameless plugs so let's make sure that i don't forget anything <laughs> yeah i'm the hands of soul and the voice of gold. Now his, uh, his brother coined both of those right so yeah and th- so there's the book yeah. you could i'll let you show because you have a book so we can show them that uh mm-hmm. there's uh, uh joseph wooten hands of soul there's the fan page josephwooten.com there's i matter you matter Dot com. What am I forgetting? I'm out of the song. I'm out of the song. I'm out of the song. And there's a free yeah. download of I Matter. Yep. The song awesome. I Matter, you matter.com. There's the videos also there. And then I think the last thing is we are all in this together. That's right. Yes. We are all in this together. That's another That's a, good one. Yeah. And, awesome uh, song for this time period. Yeah. It, here's a cr- crazy thing about that song I wrote that song. Okay. Thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> bye, Steph. bye, bye, Steph. They said, buy stuff. She's like, run away, run away. <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote that song not on purpose. I, I, and I, went, to, I went in to record it because I, I knew it was a good song. 
And I went to record the lead vocal on that song the day after the election results. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, the day after the election, election results. I was in there. Uh, uh, I was... Um, I was, we are all in this together, <laughs> together, baby, the day after the election. That's amazing. So I was wow. like, you know, things, things, things changed. So, uh, you know, this has been fun. Yeah. yeah, it's been great. So you have, you have plugs, huh? Oh, I don't even know any plugs. I like, I like, I, I don't know. Danny'sThings.com. My Instagram. I gotta send you my book. Yeah. Please do. I can I only send, imagine. I gotta send. <laughs> I gotta send you my book. It's called. It's, exactly what it's called. Saying. It's called. Wait for the corn. Lessons learned from being married to a porn star. So you're gonna <laughs> love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and sharing such amazing stories and just like well, I learned, like I learned new things about you that I didn't even know. And so. you were at our wedding. Yeah. <laughs> the cool thing is, like, like I'm getting ready to have an interview with a porn star and and her husband who used to be my publicist, and I'm thinking. Man, I don't know what this interview is going to be, <laughs> but, but it's going to be fun. And this is, it's been, it's been just, just a ton of fun. The questions are great. It's been easy. You guys look really happy, which is really cool. Cause I know there were a bunch of people going, they'll never last. They'll never last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never last. Yeah. And so that's every I time I see you, people wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, it, it seems like every time I see you guys, you guys are smiling just a little bit brighter. So oh, thank you. That's, that's fun to see, and it's good to it's good to see your uh, your star rising there, Danny. And uh, you know, and um, that's the only time I've ever seen you. <laughs> and on that note, take your clothes off. Let's do this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's it's good to see the both of you. And, and, and see you too. We'll see you soon, sir. Chance. All right, bye. bye.